fullback belly. Three tight ends, including Haydner. Kuhn is the fullback with the first and goal. Kuhn gets the ball. Pile What is going on, Wolfpack? We are back live today with Scott Barrett, formerly of PFF, now a third-time guest. We keep bringing him back because he is one of the best, probably the analyst, the single analyst I respect the most in the industry, just brings so much unique insight and stats and how to analyze them. And that's why I'm thrilled to have him on today because we're doing a more holistic, kind of evergreen, overall strategy type of podcast here. Uh, And it's one of the brightest minds you could ever try to pick their brain and what they do as just a general fantasy approach. So, Scott, how you doing, my man? <laughs> feeling good, you know. Feeling pretty good about myself after that uh, <laughs> lovely introduction. Thank you very much. Hey, it's not uh, smoke, my man. I, I truly mean everything I'm saying. You're, you're one of the best out there. I, I appreciate that. I'm happy to be back on, you know, extend our streak because I, I think our, our podcast, our last podcast, like almost couldn't be any more perfect, uh, you know, we talked up Lamar Jackson. We talked up Austin Eckler. We talked up Chris Godwin. It was like literally everyone you know you 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 potentially want. Uh, Christian McCaffrey, just like Mark if you Andrews, listen to that podcast, still- you made a lot of money. Mark Andrews. So yep. happy to be back on. Always have. Have fun on this podcast. Always one of my favorite podcasts Dude, to do. We, we squeezed out the best of the fantasy juice out of you last year, and we're hoping to do the same for, for 2020, assuming we have a season this year, that is. We actually have a quick little highlight tape of that coming out for you, too. I know it's a little delayed, but my buddy's cutting it up as we speak, so we'll, we'll have that one. Yeah, all those names you just said, it was insane. Uh, like you said, we're going to talk about cheat codes on this podcast, and I, I think you ne- knocked out every single cheat code on the list of last year, so we're, we're hoping to do the same for you guys in 2020. Um, but the, the thing that brought this podcast to mind, I know it's a little bit later. We're, we're going to go back to January now. Uh, you tweeted out something that kind of stirred up the, the fantasy world, sent some waves through Twitter, and especially for us too, because our, our whole site, Roto Street Journal, fantasy is a stock market. Uh, you tweeted out, fantasy football is nothing like the stock market. <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of where we're going to start off here, Scott, is do you actually feel that way? Or, or what are your thoughts on this comparison? A lot of people draw this analogy. Is it a market? Or, or what are your thoughts on that? I, I always do that. I, I just like, I, I think of this like a great idea. And I just get like sloppy with the wording. And I tweet it out. And then like, after I'm done with the thread, it has like 150 retweets. And I'm just like, <laughs> oh, crap, I wish I could have just like articulated that point better yeah the fantasy football is is there there are a near infinite number of parallels you could draw between fantasy football and the stock market they are so extremely similar they're just dissimilar in one of the most important fundamental ways uh which we can touch on a little bit but i mean yeah how many how many times like you all right uh you want to Load up on blue chip assets when investing, right? Just like an Apple, a Microsoft, a Julio Jones, guys who've been productive for you know seven years in a row. Uh, you want a diversified portfolio. You don't want to be too overloaded at one position, too weak at another. You know, um, 
too many eggs in one basket, like all your stocks in one industry or all your fantasy players on one team. It makes you more uh, subject to risk and volatility, you know, uh, mm-hmm. week to week fluctuations. Um, you, you can even get more creative. You can say the, the coronavirus pandemic has has made for a turbulent global economy impacting different stocks and different industries in a myriad of of mostly negative ways, right? You can say that, just say the same thing with fantasy football. If there's less practice time, if if there's no OTAs, if training camp gets pushed back, then it's worth potentially downgrading some players. Uh, Mm -hmm. Quarterback to receiver rapport is important. Um, Understanding of one's playbook is important. Uh, So, you know, you devalue the airline industry amid this pandemic. You should potentially, to a much smaller degree, um, devalue rookies, uh, teams implementing a new playbook, receivers who are catching passes from a new quarterback, because like we said, this time is, is valuable and, and there's, there's less of that. But, but fundamentally, at its core, investing in the stock market or playing fantasy football, you're making a prediction based on how a given asset is going to perform in the future, whether that's a company or, or a football player. And you're going to do that by analyzing trends, pouring over spreadsheets, building projections, and then, of course, to a, a degree, the outcomes out of your control. It's it, it's it's driven by a substantial degree by by luck rather than skill. And what's really interesting is so uh, I don't know if you remember. Um, this is just like a really long monologue. I, I apologize, but uh, no, I love it. It's loaded. I've, I'm writing down <laughs> points I want to talk about as you go. This is fantastic. I'm so, yeah, I, sh- I should have made it more of a dialogue. My my apologies, not at but, all. So so when. Uh, the legality of DFS was, was more in question. They're like, well, gambling's illegal. Is this gambling or is this not? MIT uh, actually put out a, a study, a peer-reviewed like academic journal study, uh, where they proved that uh, investing in the stock market is more prone to risk than playing DFS. It's, it's actually uh, analyzing like the best mutual funds uh, versus the best DFS players, and it's it's closer to a coin flip, like in terms of how luck based something is, which is like all it's all luck. It's closer to a coin flip than uh, it is to DFS. DFS is that much more really interesting skill based. Ah, well, I mean that that's I I have to read that study because that sounds insane. You t- touched upon some insane, just an insane amount that I want to talk about here. So I, I tried to write down some points. One of those being we're going to revisit in a second is if if you know the stock market's more so gambling than fantasy and DFS. That means there must be some indicators. At, you know, as you're saying, we're pouring over projections, and whatnot, indicators for the stock market also indicators to fantasy value. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. I thought, and I haven't even thought about this, but that point about there being potentially almost guaranteed at this point, no OTAs, no real off-seasons, who knows if we're going to have training camps and all that. I haven't even thought about that idea of who's going to be the most impacted by that. That's a, that's an article in itself right there. That's, we could do a whole whole podcast on that. Like you mentioned, the, the quarterbacks such as Tom Brady going to the, the Tampa Bay Bucks. of course you know he's going to learn the playbook and study and be as cerebral as possible, but there's only so much of that that matters until you can get on the field and learn what Chris Godwin's tendencies are, You know how he, that chemistry and build that rapport is so in, 
valuable. So if that is limited because of this, you know, new new free agents and new homes, rookies you mentioned, people, you, you brought up the coaching factor, all these huge value swinging phases of the, the offseason here are going to be that much more value swinging and, and this time even more negative. So I, I, I'm just, my brain's kind of running wild right here about an article I, I need to do now about what's going to be most impacted by COVID-19 here for fantasy. That, that's a huge point I haven't even considered. Um, the other the other part of the stock market too, you brought up so many of them, you know, also, also the, the buy low, sell high, the, the kind of obvious ones. But the one I think too many people overlook here is opportunity cost when you're drafting. And, and when you pick a player, that means you can't take another player at that slot. And I, I saw this. We're going to talk about the players that were most common on the playoff winning teams. And the also I think is equally as valuable here is the least common players in ESPN fantasy playoffs. And you look at it like carry on Johnson, OJ Howard, Robbie Anderson were the the three. If you had those three, you were the least likely to make the playoffs. In fact, only 7% of teams that had carry on and only 8.9% that had OJ Howard ended up making their playoffs. And that, that kind of boils down to opportunity costs there, right? Because if you took carry on, that means, you know, late second, you probably didn't take Aaron Jones, you didn't take maybe even Michael Thomas or a receiver like that fell to you. Who knows? Maybe not Michael Thomas, but OJ Howard, especially at a tight end, a single position like that where you only have one player going. If you took OJ Howard, it means you definitely didn't take a Mark Andrews who you, you referenced earlier. And so that opportunity cost, you know, you take this guy, that means you don't take the certain guy at the same price, but you also might not address that position as deeply and thoroughly later. Uh, is, is a huge point about that, too. Uh, do you have any thoughts on opportunity costs? you want to keep moving on to the indicators? No, I, I think all that's good. I, I did want to mention, uh, so so one thing going back to the, the MIT study on luck versus skill, yes. I, I just thought of this now is, is you can think of the efficient market hypothesis, which is just, um, you know, uh, the, the stock market is like perfectly efficient. It's based on like the share prices reflect on, on all the information uh, given to investors, and it's it, it's so hard, it's like nearly impossible to to make any real edge, um, just because it's 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 already, you know, everyone's making optimal decisions. I don't think that's entirely true. Otherwise, you know, Warren Buffett, Seth Klarman, uh, guys like that wouldn't exist. Um, but I, I do think we, and what it's saying is like why it's so. That's an example of why maybe it's so luck driven. Is just like everyone's investing optimally so there's no real difference between you know one professional trader versus another but uh i think we're seeing that in in fantasy football it's just gotten so much more difficult like again i don't think it's perfect i don't think it's there's definitely an an edge but that edge has been shrinking every single year you know six years ago it was a lot easier to play dfs to win a league uh adp was really you know dumb now it's really sharp so uh just, just thought that was interesting. I, I, the re, the, what makes me smile and laugh about that too is I was looking at my Yahoo profile for whatever because we have nothing else to fucking do these days. But I was looking <laughs> at my, my Yahoo profile and they kind of show you how you perform year in and year out. And just you know, two, three seasons ago, uh, 2014 I think was the year and the year after that. I think I had like a, a literally like a 90% win percentage and I, I played with some idiots in certain leagues and whatnot, but it was just like, it was so much easier to 
dominate leagues and only in three or four years that's becoming much closer to you know 65 percent wins and whatnot and you go from the they label it like the diamond level versus the silver level versus this and it's just you see that trend just consistently going down and down I'm like am i getting that much worse at fantasy no i i think i'm totally with you that people are just getting that much better because there's so much information now out there, a lot of it free, a lot of it quality information as well. So I, I totally see that trend just on a, a personal level. I felt it. Unfortunately, I, my, my wallet at the end of regular season isn't quite as fat as it had been for, for so many years because people are just getting better. The information's getting better and there's just that much more of it, uh, which is interesting to, to note there. Um, but you did mention there is a very stark difference between the fantasy football stock market and, and just the, the regular investing uh, stock market. Do you want to kind of outline what is that fundamental difference in your mind? Yeah. So, so I did actually want to make a comment on opportunity cost. So, mm-hmm. so opportunity cost, the price is, is so important. Warren Buffett, his fundamental strategy is he, he he's a value investor he wants to invest in the stock with the highest margin of safety mm-hmm. uh, and what that means is he wants to invest in um, let me see if I can pull up his exact definition mm-hmm. um, I don't know he, he basically just wants to invest in a company that's worth more in value than what you're paying for it so the cheaper uh, the better the higher the, the margin of safety for you. Um, and, uh, and, and, and yeah, so, so let's now get into the, the one fundamental difference, mm-hmm. just, but it's like the biggest thing. Uh, so, so Buffett, like I said, looking for a high margin of safety, he says the first rule of investing is don't lose money. And the second rule is never forget the first rule. And that's, yeah. that's essentially cor- correct in investing. You want to, uh, you need to be very cautious about about losing money. Avoiding loss should be your primary goal. Um, it doesn't mean don't incur any risk. Uh, it just means you, you don't want uh, to subject your portfolio to uh, uh, an appreciable loss of principal. Uh, because because what is what is your downside when investing? It's it's catastrophic. It's it's financial ruin. But but with fantasy football, what is your downside? Punishments. So <laughs> well, yeah, unless you have a toilet ball, but uh, <laughs> or, but but typically it's the same as all other teams. Right. It's it's just not first place, and your upside is first place in yep. in the stock market. Your upside's limitless, and again, your downside's horrific. So right there, that should be a clue that there's there's a. Uh, um, these risk and reward should should be weighted mm. differently to, to some degree. Absolutely. Um, um, no, no, I totally get that because in fantasy, right? You're, if you're not first, you're you're going to be last. Like, it's set, what's second place? Yeah, maybe you you get four hundred bucks instead of twelve, whatever the the prize might be. But ultimately, we're playing fantasy to to show we're better than our friends to have that little pride over our family or whoever you're competing against. It's not about, yeah, the financial gains are, are nice, but it's all about flexing that, that intellectual muscle of whatever, you, you know, it, that's what it's all about is showing your superiority to these others. So yeah, you're, you're dead right. Nobody's going to remember who was second place in 2011. Like it, that, that doesn't matter. So you're right. Like 
what you're chasing just to be the ultimate best is a whole lot different than when you're just trying to be good and steady and increasing your profits. If you hit 80 percentile in the stock market, that's awesome. If you hit 80th percentile in fantasy football, that means you're probably, what, third, fourth place? That's nothing. So I think that totally means... I love how you said you have to flip your risk-reward assessment there because it's all about reward and you should incur risk to get to that reward. Um, how, how do you see that playing out then as you draft? Yeah, so so for, for years I, I treated drafting like I would investing where I'm just looking for the best value players, the guys I thought most likely to beat their ADP, remember, yeah. in contrast to investing high margin of safety you know the biggest difference between their price and and their value, or in fantasy case, their price and their projection. But again, I don't think that's right because I don't think we're appropriately measuring uh, uh, the value of upside in fantasy football in contrast to the the dangers of downside in investing. Um, so, so Buffett would say there's, there's probably a threshold where the risk is significant enough to never outweigh the potential rewards. But in, in fantasy football, I think the opposite is true or something close to that where a player's upside is far more valuable than their downside is detrimental. And then especially once you get to a certain point in the draft, it, downsides basically irrelevant. Mm-hmm. And th- this is, this is something new for me, like, like legitimately like, mind-blowing like i had never i i had been trending towards this direction but i i could never articulate why and once once this sort of clicked for me i i, I don't think i'll ever draft the same way again and i i think this is 100 right but like let's look at real life examples it was james white who blew the doors open for me we've talked about this before like see i was already trending in this direction bell cower bust running yeah. back strategy like what is james white's value like who who gives a shit? And like, especially when drafting him, like, what was his upside? He hit the year before. He he hit like the ultimate. Nothing could have been better for him. Where Rex Burkhead uh, went down and Sony Michelle went down, and then he was averaging like twenty three fantasy points per game. And then once either one of those guys were active, he was back to typical you know ten fantasy points per game. James White. So unless like two running backs ahead of him got hurt. You know, uh, he had zero upside, but he, he had that dependable, steady 10 fantasy points per game floor, whatever. But that's, that's still, like, basically useless. And, and here's, here's, the, here's the numbers to back. Meanwhile, I was, I was targeting the guys who had that bell cow potential, potential league winners. Uh, uh, but but let's look at, let's look at uh, James White. Mm-hmm. So according to ADP, he was the 25th running back drafted last year and he finished the season 19th in ppr scoring so that's like a, an easy value win right you know if, if you're dra- drafting like you would invest like buffett you would you would be really happy with it that's great you gotta you get a profit but in fantasy football he wasn't profitable for you at all so only 7.7 percent of james white uh drafters uh won their championship on espn the league average rate is 10%. So you have a one in 10, perfectly random. You have a one in 10 chance of winning your championship. And drafting white gave you a worse chance than that, Like, which is crazy, counterintuitive considering you know, he profited on his ADP. Right. 
in basketball leagues, you see basically the same thing, where one in 12 teams win, chance 8.3%, his win rate 8.6%. On the opposite end, exactly. But now let's look at the opposite end of the spectrum, where we're looking at upside. Who, who do you think like the the best draft picks you could have made last year were? I mean, obviously Christian McCaffrey, but you couldn't really have – you had to kind of have a top three pick to even have a shot at him. So you look at a chance that everyone had at, and especially if we're using James White as an example, who was going right around him, you got to say, what, Austin Eckler, who we talked about last year? That, so, so that's definitely a top five guy. Who do you think the number one guy is? Oh, it's got – I mean, obviously Lamar Jackson. <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't get any better than that. So you'd think so. He he's Lamar Jackson was actually number number two, but like really? that was that that would have been my guess one hundred percent because he was a sharp late round pick, I a player I called the single greatest value in current drafts at any position multiple times, mm-hmm. patting myself on the back here. Oh, and you destroyed yeah, me! I, we, do you remember it was him versus Jared Goff? I was on the side of Goff, so I'll eat a little crow there. But you even you had a line that sticks with me. It clearly sticks with me because I remember it to this day. You said he has top three rushing upside, uh, top three upside on his rushing alone. Doesn't even matter if he improves as a passer. That's how good of a Konami code he is. And sure enough, he he would have been the running back fourteen in fantasy on just his <laughs> rushing. So you you were pretty damn damn smart on that one. That was sick. So he was, I thought, a sharp pick. Uh, and again, he was cheap. 12th round ADP. And he averaged the most fantasy points per game of any quarterback in any season ever. Mm. Just by drafting that one breakout player, doesn't matter what you did in the 11 rounds beforehand or the eight rounds after, you had a 41% chance of making it to your league's championship round. Insane. That's insane. Just one player. So that he was a sharp pick. If you're sharp enough to draft Lamar Jackson, you probably made a few more sharp moves elsewhere in the draft. We can't say the same thing for Christian McCaffrey, who, like you said, basically, if you had the second pick in the draft, you, you had missed Christian McCaffrey. Mm-hmm. Like the, you, you lucked into the number two pick. That was it. There was no real strategy behind that. Just obvious number two guys. But that edge was massive. It was yeah. maybe the biggest edge in from any one player in a decade, he, again, 11 rounds more expensive than, than Jackson. Jackson's margin of safety was much higher. Doesn't matter. Christian McCaffrey was the MVP of the 2019 season. If you owned him last year, you were basically a coin flip to make it to your league's championship round. 48%. That's Insane. one player. And so, Insane. It, it's not, I mean, like, that's ignoring quarterback, that's ignoring RB2, all your wide receivers, your tight end, your kicker, your defense, and it's just you lucked into the number two spot. Mm-hmm. 50-50 chance. Like, one player. So so catastrophic, so massive. And uh, I, my buddy Mike Beers at Rotoviz, mm-hmm. I, wanted to, I wanted to test this hypothesis on him. He was like, all right, I could pull this for you, but it's going to take me, like, so long that – you just got to give me the names and I'm, I'm never pulling this again for you. And you better hope the names are right. And I'm like, well, whatever. I, I'm going to guess, you know, Dak Prescott, Dalvin Cook, AJ Brown. Those are like three of the best picks you can make at, at each position. Um, Dak Prescott, one of the best value picks, not Lamar Jackson, but probably top three Dalvin Cook, top three for sure. Uh, 
and then and then AJ Brown too. Uh, so if you had all three of those players on your best ball team, but you didn't have McCaffrey or Jackson, you won your league twenty eight percent of the time. Wow! If you had <laughs> McCaffrey and Lamar Jackson, it doesn't matter who else you had, you won your league sixty four percent of the time. Oh my god! And like, and that's just so insane too. It's I forget. I think it's called like the power law distribution or something like that in stocks too, where it's just so disproportionate that one or two stocks amid just like everything else matters that heavily. And it kind of it makes you wonder like what does matter, and other than hitting these one to two players that essentially become cheat codes in fantasy. If you had those two, you had a sixty four percent chance of winning, even if you had complete garbage for the rest of your your team. That's just insane and that I, I think that it totally informs your your strategy here of we have to try to go out and find these cheat codes and every single pick we make that's not going out to find cheat code. we know James White is never going to be one of those cheat codes we saw his ceiling he had that great I think he was like the seventh best running back just a few seasons ago but you mentioned he needed everything you need two guys to go down for him to become that bell cow and that's never going to happen and we know what James White is we need to be chasing these guys that could could ultimately emerge as these league winners, especially as we get later and later in the draft. I mean, that's just an insane stat to to how concentrated fantasy was. If you had one of these two guys, and you said you know getting your championships a coin flip with McCaffrey, if you had him, you were into your playoffs nearly eighty percent of the time. Like you, I, I mean, my league's a, a testament to that. The guy who drafted McCaffrey had one of the worst teams I've ever seen outside of him, and he made it all the way to the semis. Like it, it was nothing else, literally nothing else. I think he had DJ Chark too, his second best player. Like nothing else behind McCaffrey, and he still made it to the semis. Like it was just insane as to how how crazy that is. So yeah, I mean that has to inform your drafting and. Does this change though? That the one argument I hear is two two reasons why you shouldn't just chase upside. One is in the early rounds you have to get something safe. You have to lock that down. And then two is well, if I play in a big league, you know, fourteen teams, sometimes even more than that, there's some value to those guys that I know are just getting ten points. Do you subscribe to that? Or are you still I'm going upside? I don't care about the round. I don't care about the the league size. Does anything influence that strategy for you? Yeah, I mean, it's it's always uh, a careful calculation between risk and reward. I'm I'm just saying you should prior like just know that your potential reward matters a lot more than mm-hmm. risk. But of course, you know you have to fact both matter into the variable. Uh, both are important variables in your calculation. Um, but but uh, just the, just the conclusion from this. Yeah. Uh, is in fantasy football drafts aim to be a power hitter. Uh, it's it's more valuable to hit a home run or two than a bunch of singles. And mm-hmm. and statistically, it might be more important to draft the one or two perfect players than a bunch of good players. Of course, deeper leagues things change a little bit, like a fourteen team league, uh, multiple starting spot, more starting spots. Sure, um, later rounds especially do this. Uh, but, uh, but all that seems, you know, really true to me. Uh, like a question I asked, uh, last, last year, it was, it was week eight. I forget. It was like, would you trade Christian McCaffrey for the, the highest scoring wide receiver and the next closest running back, which I don't know if it was Eckler or Dalvin at the time. And I don't know if it was Michael Thomas or Godwin or someone else, but 
I, that's like a legitimate question. Yeah. Which is insane. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, McCaffrey outscored Aaron Jones, the, the next closest by the end of the year, by 156 points, the largest margin that's happened in a single year ever. So, I mean, it's, it seems <laughs> insane to ask, and then it's it's very statistically factual, which is just so insane to me. Um, it, it's just wild. And what you brought up the, the fact that incurring losses doesn't matter so much in fantasy football. And there's some huge data to support that, especially when it comes to winning the championship. Never mind getting there. Getting there, there's, you know, we, we talked about how important McCaffrey was getting into the playoffs 80%, getting to your championship 50%. But once you're actually in there, could you, I, I wonder how many guesses it would take for you to get the top three players other than McCaffrey. So the top four, McCaffrey's third on this list in terms of championship roster winners. But who was the most commonly owned in ESPN leagues for championship rosters? Do you have any guesses to that? Oh. It's wild. Um, I know. It's going to be like fucking Brashad Perriman and Number Ryan one. Tannehill. <laughs> Number five. Oh, my, oh my God. Yeah, it, so out, other than McCaffrey, the next one, two, three, four, five, six were undrafted. So top, six of the top seven were all undrafted. Perriman was number one, A.J. Brown two, then McCaffrey. Tyler Higby was four. Uh, Devontae Parker was five, and Tannehill was six. Raheem Mostert was seven. All So the, seven of those guys undrafted. So it, you can occur losses and still make it up clearly, especially even, even when it comes down to the last week, you could be incurring losses and still win your leagues. That's just how fantasy works. Unlike the stock market, if someone just gets cut off, and your stock blows up, your portfolio is screwed. And fantasy, there's guys waiting. There's guys, especially if you lost a Godwin, well, you still have a replacement sitting right there, Brashad Perriman, because the system's so pass-happy. Well, Dan, there you go. 27% of leagues win because of him. A.J. Brown, just so much of it is, yes, finding those cheat codes, but also playing the market at the right times when people go down, finding those right guys. It's just insane to me that six of the seven most-owned guys were undrafted coming into the year. It just suggests a lot about how you can incur losses in fantasy. How, do you have any thoughts on that? That's absolutely correct. Because it, it's like, what what is what is a player's... like Because the waiver wire exists, right? Mm-hmm. It's, you, you're going to churn bottom uh, of the roster guys in and out. Uh, you can potential starters bring into your, your, your team, but you're not going to get a Christian McCaffrey off of waivers. So again, like upside so important. And then downside, you know, there's no such thing as like a true zero, you know, in, in the stock market, a, a company can go bankrupt. Uh, you lose your entire investment, but uh, in fan, let's, let's look at an example. Mm-hmm. So just spent, you know, five minutes, uh, you know, finished finished up all my rookie stuff. Feel really great about that. Now digging into redraft rankings. So I looked at ADP, and immediately the guy who jumped out to me as the best value. Uh, I, I think this would surprise some people, but uh, Antonio Brown. Mm. He's currently un, unemployed. He's likely to face a multi-game suspension, even if he returns. Very realistically might not ever play football again. He's being drafted in the 17th round as the 75th wide receiver off the the board. Based on everything we just said, what is his risk? His downside is the the same as all other players. It's zero points, right? In a worst-case scenario. Sure, his odds at scoring zero points are far less than 
for any other player maybe going before him, but his ADP is still stupid. That's because his upside, what's his upside? AB. <laughs> his upside is Antonio Brown. Yeah. Who else has Antonio Brown upside? Not very many people. Nope. Prior Especially not season, in round 17, right? Like, <laughs> exa- why the exact, fuck not? <laughs> exactly. So prior to last season, finished fifth, first, 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 first in total fantasy points at the position. And that's like first, second round uh, upside. And that's easy league winning potential in round 17. That's league winning potential in round 13 uh, for sure. Um, And again, so, so sure he has better odds of scoring zero points than any of the players going around his ADP. That doesn't matter in a vacuum. Zero fantasy points for a wide receiver is basically the same as about 8.5 fantasy points per game, Mm -hmm. roughly the 67th highest scoring wide receiver last year. That's fewer fantasy points per game than Sammy Watkins, Taylor Gabriel, Chris Conley, Duke Williams, Greg Ward, Nelson Aguilar, Zach Pascal. Were any of those guys winning you games last year? Never. In fact, they might have been a detriment to your team. They were just occupying bench space. (laughs) How many of those guys were even rostered? And that's sort of the point. If Brown's not on an NFL team by week one, you could quickly drop him, pick up another player from your free agency pool, and I bet you could find someone who's going to finish higher than his ADP, 75th in the position, higher than 67th, the other names we just said, 8.5. But why would you even want that? That's that's easily replaceable. It doesn't provide much value. Instead, you you should just swing for the fences again. These late rounds... Bottom, bottom of the roster, guys. Absolutely, I, I think, and what we're kind of getting at now too is every single round. Obviously, I think a lot of people have already subscribed to this idea that you know I, I swing for the fences and I try to maximize upside late. So I don't think you're going to have a hard time once people hear this. They're going to, oh yeah, of course. Why wouldn't I take a shot at AB at a round seventeen price? But it's also those middle rounds too. You know, the the Austin Ecklers of last year where. You look at it and you try to think, this guy became a cheat code. What led to this guy becoming a cheat code last year? And, and you know, how did other people just not see this? So in, in your mind, how can we, regardless of the round, what are you factoring in to try to figure out who these cheat codes are going to be? Right. So, so just like for me, like if I was building projections around this philosophy, I'd say build, build a best case scenario and a worst case scenario. And I'd weight the best case scenario twice as much as mm. the worst case scenario. Um, and, and use that as my base case, let's say something, something along, whatever, you know, you know, what I'm trying to get at ceiling. and uh, floor. Yeah, absolutely. Right. But it, but it's, it's difficult to appropriately assess ceiling for sure. Like it's very yeah. tricky. Um, it's also important that we don't conflate risk with upside it, it doesn't necessarily follow that a riskier player has more upside. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the more risk you incur, uh, the high, I mean, greater risk, you know, hurts returns um, by, by incurring losses. Um, some things I look for, like absolutely, you know, Konami code jumped off the page because, uh, you know, 25 passing yards equals 10 rushing yards. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, three passing touchdowns equals two rushing touchdowns. So that's just like an obvious edge for guys who rush. You know, 
upside high uh, for for bell cower bust running backs. It's the exact same thing. You know, targets are worth what uh, like two point eight times as much as a carry. Um, actually, even more than that. Uh, and and you know, the more snaps you're on the field for, the more potential for fantasy points. The the more more areas you excel, passing and rushing. Uh, the the more potential for for scoring fantasy points. Absolutely. Uh, so so when we we have a, a formula we call it, and you've already kind of hinted at it, usage is one of the driving factors. Do you are we weigh the most? I actually kind of want to hear your insight if this is how you would weigh them. We when we grade players, we have, we they can get up to a hundred points, and the biggest factor we put in is talent. Although it's part of our talk right now is is starting to make me wonder is that should that be the biggest factor? Talents number one, I think we grade that at thirty right there. Then usage comes in second at twenty five. Then we grade out the the surrounding talent, the the line, the other surrounding weapons, the overall how many points per game is this team as a whole putting up? And part of that's also driven, which we give fifteen points to the scheme. Is this coach creative? Is he you know going for it and, and fourth and one? Is he going to put his position players in the best position to succeed? And then we also factor in the, the risk. Is this player have a history of injuries? Are they more volatile? Is it a Deshaun Jackson where you're going to get ten you know one point one week and thirty another? So that's how we kind of grade it all out with again talent the most important, then usage. Then scheme and surrounding talent kind of equally, you know, in the middle there. And then last but not least, we, you got to factor in some risk. But as you're saying here, you know, risk, you can incur risk in fantasy because there's a waiver wire sitting there waiting for you. Do you agree with that kind of scale? Is there a way you'd re, regrade players? What do you think of that? those factors there? Yeah, so I, I don't know if I agree with that because you, you put mm-hmm. talent first and then usage. I only really care about talent insofar as it's going to result in more usage. And that's the same thing mm. with scheme too. I look at scheme, but only within the context of usage for, for running backs. I think we could all agree. Chris, uh, Saquon Barkley is a top three running back in fantasy, but if he has, uh, you know, a, a coach, a, a coach who is going to give him only 10 carries for targets per game, give me some bum who's getting, 18 carries, five targets per game, like all day I'll take that. Um, and that's just because like efficiency, especially for running backs, doesn't really matter. Um, it's really so tied to, to usage. Uh, it matters it, it, so much more for quarterbacks. Quarterback is all about efficiency, but with the other positions, they're just so heavily tied to 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 volume. Um, but I, I mean – those are all things that I look at and, and factor into my analysis. I think that's an interesting point too, though, is do the factors change per position? Should it be all quarterbacks matter, the same talent matters for quarterback as it does for running back, or do those grades switch? Or, you know, for wide receivers, for example, does surrounding talent suddenly become significantly more important? Because if you don't got a guy that's getting you the mail, it's not going to matter how good you are or how many targets you see. We saw, you know, DeAndre Hopkins with Brock Osweiler just, you know, a handful of seasons ago. It didn't matter how talented or how many targets he saw. The surrounding talent was just that much shittier. So that's a that's an interesting point. Is, is should we regrade by position? It shouldn't be just exactly locked in talents thirty usage is twenty five because each position could be different. And you're also hinting at the fact that all these factors 
kind of merge into one thing anyways. If you're good enough, you're going to see the targets or the carries. So talent is influencing usage, is influenced by the scheme. So it is a tricky, you know, how do you grade these players? Is there a set formula for how to do it? That's what we're trying to figure out and and we're kind of struggling with because we just brought up eight points, why it, why it works and why it doesn't at the same time. Yeah, I mean... Um... I, th- I think I think Hopkins with with Osweiler is an outlier. It yeah. certainly was for for his career, but insanely productive with you know other bum quarterbacks, just not True. Brock Osweiler levels of bad. Um, mm. And you know that's typically the case. A guy seeing that many targets, like I kind of don't even. I mean, it matters who it is, and it matters who's throwing him the ball. True, but you know I, the the number of targets the target number is going to matter more to me than either of those th- two things. And then, and then like I was talking about with quarterbacks, we, we saw an outlier last year with Jameis Winston, right? Mm-hmm. Where he was entirely volume dependent. You almost never see that with quarterbacks, but Blake Bortles had a year or two like that. Um, but it's, it's, it was, it was target volume. I mean, a uh, passing volume. He had high number of pass attempts, high number of dropbacks, but it was also, uh, volume quality where it was it was high number of air yards um it was you know and and a lot of that was his own doing you know throwing pick sixes at inopportune Mm -hmm. times having to claw his way back from a a major scoring deficit um but 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 otherwise he was pretty inefficient he was you know below average in almost every you know efficiency metric you want to look at to, to factor in that um but you know he rose above it with with uh with volume typically that never happens typically uh or pass attempts per game dropbacks per per game uh matters far less than passer rating like if you run the correlations efficiency for quarterbacks matters so much more and then if you run the the correlations for efficiency versus volume for the three other uh the uh the three other positions uh, efficiency is like almost meaningless. And that's that's another great point too. And you can't also forget the fact that he has Godwin and Evans on the outside of that surrounding talent. When you huck it that many times to that good of talent, no matter what your talent level is, you're going to get it done at at some level. So that that makes sense. Why that would be an anomaly? Why that would be an outlier? Outlier there. Um, it's such a crazy season in that sense. You also think of the flip of that too, though. It's like Russell Wilson, right? He's so good and so efficient, but we're seeing the the aerial pie, and he's still he's scoring you know great levels. And he has those games where he is required to drop back and throw more because their play calling's been so shitty. They find themselves so far behind, and now they're chucking it off fourth quarter, and you suddenly have twenty points in one quarter from Russell. It's just one of those things you imagine, like if that volume, that efficiency went up for a guy like that. What could he totally do in fantasy? And you talk about cheat codes, and they're starting to suggest, you know, Pete Carroll, you're laughing and, and saying, maybe we will go a little more no huddle because Russ is really, you know, talking about it all offseason. And you see those quotes from Russell Wilson. We see what Mahomes does when they, they let him go. Like, why can't our offense do that? So that's a guy, uh, kind of we're transitioning here now to who might be cheat codes in 2020. We've seen the cheat code upside of Russell Wilson. We've seen, I think last year you cited on this podcast, the the points per drop back. Nobody had as high yep. of a, a point per drop back as Russell Wilson uh, coming into the year. So if those drop backs do ever just increase and maybe this is the year we get it, maybe Russell Wilson becomes a, a cheat code of this year. 
Do you have any guys in mind, now we've talked about what we're kind of looking at, that could be those 2020 cheat codes? So I, I think you just named a big one. I think that's mm-hmm. a, a great call. Uh, so one of the reasons I liked Lamar Jackson was, okay, he was woefully inefficient as a passer, but guess what? He just smashed the PFF record in fantasy points for dropback. Mm-hmm. Russell Wilson, he uh, has finished top three in fantasy points for dropback every year of his career except for one, wow. which is absurd. Like no one else comes close to that. Like not not even close. Drew Brees second and, and by a distance. Mm-hmm. Um, but the issue was always you know dropbacks per game. You know, like I said, efficiency matters way more than than volume. But when you have both working in your favor, then we can see. Uh, I mean, if 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 Russell Wilson just had uh, ranked average in fantasy in dropbacks per game, I think he would have been a top three fantasy quarterback in every year of his career against for, except for one. So so like you said, you know, if that comes together, if they finally let him loose then, yeah, for sure, potential league winner. And, and we've seen that from him before. Do you think if, if Russell Wilson was in Andy Reid's system, if he was in Mahomes' system right now, would he put up Mahomesian numbers? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> I, th- I, I just think, I've always I think, thought that. I think it, you, you want to argue for the best quarterback in football right now. I think, I think it's probably uh, Mahomes versus... Uh, versus Russ. Yeah, I know. I, I've always just, uh, I just, I, Schottenheimer is such a fucking just loves to pound the rock, even when it when he shouldn't. I wish they would just let this guy go because when they do, it's fourth quarter. Russ is some of the best football to watch. I wish they could just see that all game. Why not put up forty points a game? They certainly have the the talent there with him. Beyond Russell Wilson, is there any other quarterbacks that you could see taking? I mean. It, we've never seen a Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. It, it worked out nicely that they were back-to-back years, but there's never been players outside of round 10 to top 400 points like them ever in history. So it's going to be a, a pretty crazy stretch to think we get another one of those. But do you see somebody, whether it's round 10 and beyond or mid-rounds or somebody just evolving into that level of fantasy cheat code at the quarterback position this year, other than Russell Wilson and those other guys we already know are? Um, yeah, uh, I don't know. Daniel Jones is interesting to me and in just that, I mean, I, I wouldn't say him, but, he, but he's, I don't know. He just comes to mind for some reason because he had, I think four 30 plus point fantasy performances by, I don't know, DraftKings scoring, I think, which like never been done by a rookie has only been mm-hmm. done like 18 times in the history of uh fantasy football in, in the history of football uh and then the rest of the time he was absolute garbage uh, hmm. but but he's a guy who you know has more upside than than most people think you know could could run more you know josh allen of course you know konami code hmm. upside uh if he just cam newton i mean cam newton's pro he's not on a team right now he's probably cooked by by most measures i worry about the shoulder i worried about the foot um but you know he's still. We know Cam Newton's upside. We know his Konami code, Konami code potential. Yeah, absolutely. I one guy you haven't brought up that I think is going to be one of the most popular names there. Actually, Daniel Jones. <laughs> I I love that one because he did. I had I started him. I had one bye week fill in I needed for Dak, 
and he got that 30-point game for me. So I I like that one. That's that's an intriguing one, um, especially to see what they do in the draft here. Who knows if Jason Garrett as an OC can truly unlock a Konami code or, or anything of that nature. But the, the more popular one I'm uh, hearing— So before you mention yeah. who I know you're going to mention— Yes, you know uh, also, I'm going <laughs> also, also Dak Prescott, too. Just yeah. uh, look at like how much he ran in college. He's never done that at the NFL level. He's a really gifted athlete. Very, very quick, very sudden, very fast. Uh, but yeah, of course, Kyler Murray. Let's let's hear it. Yeah, well, that, but that is an interesting point on Dak too. Is he was the number two quarterback last year on largely just his passing. So if he did say, I mean, Mike McCarthy doesn't have a huge history, but we've seen Aaron Rodgers have some scrambling plays and whatnot. But it, I mean, man, that upside could be insane there too. But yes, we're both getting that at Kyler Murray here too. Do you think he could? reach that level, uh, especially now that he's got DeAndre Hopkins, finally a true number one wide receiver in that offense. What do you think of him in 2020? Yeah, what's interesting is, and I'm stealing this from from Rich Rebar, is is what we're seeing with Kyler, we saw with Baker Mayfield last year, where it's like, oh my God, he was really impressive. His rookie season, uh, despite having very little help, Mm-hmm. And now he has Odell Beckham Jr. He has this, he has that. Uh, he's going to go nuclear for fantasy. Except I, th- I, I, it's the same thing, but I really feel it with, with Kyler Murray. On top of all that, he has the Konami code potential. He was really efficient mm-hmm. with, with legitimately nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, re- subpar receivers, hurt receivers, um, and... Uh, I think I think they're going to make improvements to the offensive line. They've made significant improvements to the receiving court. DeAndre Hopkins, top three uh, wide receiver in the NFL, uh, and he's a guy who's excelled with, like we said, every quarterback. Bunch of bum quarterbacks, except for Brock Osweiler. So I think you're still going to get, even with you know less practice time, like we talked at the beginning of the podcast, uh, you know, high end performance from him. Um, Christian Kirk's going to be healthy. You know, Andy Isabella in his next year, they might draft someone in, uh, in, a, in one of the deepest wide receiver classes in memory. Uh, and and I think that offense surprised me, and, and, and it still has untapped potential. Uh, yeah. I think the untapped potential, too, is the, is the key here. One huge improvement would be the line, as you mentioned. So I'd love to see, hopefully in that first round pick, they, they get a nice true anchor at left tackle. We'll see. It is a, a pretty deep class along the line. But even if not, you cited why I don't think. I've seen a lot of this, you know, we're seeing the Cardinals there. Everybody's going to love them and it's going to be the Browns because their line still sucks. And that's true. The line does blow, but you brought it up. He's so escapable, so fast and in those broken pockets he can run and he can just get you those chunk 10 yards out of nowhere, just like Russell Wilson we see so often behind that crap offensive line that's been there for so long. That actually drives value at times when they actually have that mobility, which Baker Mayfield lacked. Murray certainly has. But there's a Matthew Berry has a, a great stat in his, his new love-hate um, where he talked about broken plays. So even if that offensive line doesn't improve, um, 
Kyler Murray last year, you'd think he'd be one of the best in terms of out-of-the-pocket passing. He was just 27th uh, in passer rating outside the pocket and 21st in TD percentage. But then you look, since 2018, Hopkins is tied with Tyler Lockett for the most TD receptions when his QB is out of the pocket. And obviously you got Deshaun Watson, so it makes sense because he can scramble too. But I see a lot of those similarities with Russell Wilson, with Deshaun Watson, with Kyler Murray. He just didn't have that go-to, you know, broken pocket, who do I just huck it to? I like Kirk. I think he's great underneath. Larry Fitz, yeah, I respect the hell out of his career and what he's done. But neither of those guys are, are, you know, you look up and you just can chuck it to it and hope for the best. And neither of them can burn down the field. You talked about this offense reaching its true ceiling. At its best, the air raid needs that vertical threat that goes out and wins. And they probably thought Isabella would be that. Maybe he still can be that. We we don't know what he'll be in year two. He certainly wasn't last year. Butler got you know nipped before his season could even start. But Hopkins, another stat from Matthew Barry. I got to steal from the guy. Uh, he said since where is it right now? I have it on my notes. Um, since. 2017, where is it? It's it's Whatever the stat is, it's over the last three years. Uh, since 2017, Hopkins is tied for second among wide receivers in deep TDs, only behind Tyree Kills. So you stir in that broken pocket presence. You stir in that, that deep vertical presence as well. To me, that's what could unlock this this air raid, which was okay. Certainly, you know, QB seven last year was solid, but you, that's just how much of an important element that Hopkins could bring to this, and that's why I see Murray as everybody does. It's nothing all that shocking, uh, but that's why I could see Murray being that that true cheat code in twenty twenty. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely the right. Uh, what, one issue with with uh, with Murray is uh, that sort of priced into his uh right yeah like he's he's a mid first round startup pick in in dynasty super flex traps mm-hmm. which is which is crazy to me like i i'd rather have you know Dak prescott in round four but uh but yeah i mean i i, I see it I, just I like baker it, last year yeah. it should all yeah. the math checks out but uh but yeah i i feel a lot better with uh with kyler especially due to that konami code floor I, I love the Dak bring up too, though. That uh, I mean, everyone just keeps forgetting because he's been su- such an improved passer these last few years of how athletic he could be. It's it's so easy to be all hyped up. I think I bumped Kyler Murray all the way up to like QB, you know, four, maybe even QB three on the rankings. But it's like Dak was just the QB two, and he still didn't use the legs nearly as much as he could have. Russell Wilson has been the QB five or six, and still hasn't had nearly enough dropbacks to that, that he should be afforded. So it's easy to jump on this Murray train. It's so sexy and it's so obvious, as we're all saying here. But I think those other names you're bringing up, and then Daniel Jones late. I mean, Ryan Tannehill, as unsexy as it seems, he brings a little bit with the legs. He was the QB3 last year from Week 7 on once he started. There is some rushing upside, especially in the red zone with that guy too because they do the, the zone read, the wide zone that opens it up. Derek Henry just pounding so often. The, you know, the bootlegs are there so often too. So I wouldn't be shocked. And I'm always a wait on QB guy. So it's I'm not going to get Kyler. I'm probably not going to get Russ or Dak. So I am looking more in that range. Maybe I'm going to be going a lot of, of Daniel Jones uh, and, and Ryan Tannehill stacks here. Well, I mean, um, I, I, yeah. I, I want to clarify. I'm not I'm not a Daniel Jones fan. He's just someone who <laughs> popped out to me who like an upside that you that you don't you don't see. But I mean. Ryan Tannehill is a much better example. What's Ryan Tannehill's upside? We saw it last year. It, from when he was starter to the end of the season, he 
ranked second in fantasy points per start. He ranked first in passer rating. He ranked first in PFF grade. Ranked wow. uh, first or second in fantasy points per drop back. And what's changed for him? Right. He got a big deal. Uh, uh, t- uh, beat reporters have come out and said Tennessee preferred Tannehill to Brady throughout free agency. Uh, same offensive coordinator, play caller. Uh, A.J. Brown has another year of experience. Otherwise, everything's exactly the same. So, uh, And his, his ADP is egregious. Yeah. I, the one other quarterback, I, I'd love to hear the other positions too, who you see could, uh, could potentially emerge as cheat codes. But one guy that intrigues me, and he doesn't seem sexy at all because he gets this check down rep, is Teddy Bridgewater now in Carolina. They clearly, to release Newton, who still might have a year, we don't know if he's cooked or not yet, but to release this guy who could have been a perfect bridge to your, your next starter if they wanted to go to whoever falls them in the draft, to go out and get Teddy Bridgewater. And, and why would they do something like that? I think it boils down to the Joe Brady. And I don't know how much you've studied on Joe Brady. I did a, a huge article on the guy earlier this offseason and what he did to LSU. They, they went from, I don't have the article in front of me at the moment, but it was something like 69th in scoring to obviously first. You know, Burrow, who was right in the middle of the pack, wasn't even considered a, a top you know, 10 guy in a lot of people's draft boards shoots up and goes from an average throwing season to over 5,000 yards, over 40 something touchdowns, whatever the insane stats he put up in this guy's system. And he comes from the Saints. He worked with Bridgewater. He's the guy that was tasked with catching Bridgewater up in this playbook for the Saints. And, and Burroughs come out and said our whole playbook was all, you know, very similar to what they do in New Orleans, getting five receivers out, getting the quick strikes, maximizing every blade of grass. Uh, I'm a big believer in this system just because of what I saw happen at LSU. I do see a little bit of this wonderkin type of, is this the next Sean McVay? Is this the next guy that just vaults an offense all the way to the top? You got Christian McCaffrey, you got DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, now Robbie Anderson. So the weapons certainly check out there. Do you have any belief in Teddy Bridgewater like I do? I think this guy could truly explode. Uh, no, well, I want you to send me that, that Joe Brady article. I'm I will. excited to read it. Um, yeah, so I love Ryan, uh, Teddy Bridgewater in terms of, you know, a serviceable NFL starter. You, you got cheap. I think that's, I think that's great. Uh, for fantasy, though, I, I do think his upside is questionable uh, because he really is that sort of conservative, um, conservative checkdown quarterback. Mm. Uh, he's only scored more than 23. Five fantasy points twice in his career. He's only scored more than twenty fantasy points three times. So that's just you know we've never seen a ceiling from him. That's that's not to say it isn't there, but um, I do think he's a lot better than than most people give him credit for. Yeah, there's a great PFF article actually to to cite it. I'm, I'm guessing at least a couple of those games came towards the end of his starting run last year. I know one of them definitely was against the Bucks. Um, but I forget who wrote it at PFF, and they, they broke down, though, the difference between Teddy Bridgewater and his first couple games where, understandably, he hasn't started in a while. You know, he's getting his knee after that horrific injury, uh, getting the rust shaken off and, and finally getting his chance again. So he was you know very tentative, checking it down almost every play. But I know at, at PFF they grade money throws and, and different advanced categories like that. 
And there was a huge skyrocket from his first two to three starts as there was in his last three. Obviously against the Bucks, I mean, everybody lit up the Bucks too. So how much of it was that? But uh, that that's the one thing that gives me a little hope was reading that article. In addition to the scheme was Bridgewater can make these throws. He started to make them more often before Breeze was returned. Now what if we see this for a, a full season? So he's just another one while we're listing off these cheat code quarterbacks. I think there's a lot more upside than people realize because of his past. They think it's just this low floor, high percentage guy. I think there there could be a sneakier ceiling than a lot of people realize there with Teddy Bridgewater. Um, is there any? Oh yeah, yeah. Go for it. You you want to say, say uh, point out high upside at the quarterback position? The chance of this materializing is very very low. But what happens if Teddy Bridgewater's former teammate? Uh, Drew Brees goes down with an injury. Mm. Taysom Hill is, has right. massive uh, league-winning potential. So last preseason, he was PFF's fifth highest-graded quarterback of like 80-plus qualifiers. Bridgewater, meanwhile, ranked you know 43rd, so middle of the pack. Uh, over the last two preseasons. And this is, remember, this is when they're using him as a quarterback in the, in the preseasons. The last two preseasons, uh, he averaged 0.67 fantasy points per dropback. Uh, that's, that's Patrick Mahomes, wow. Lamar Jackson, fantasy point per dropback numbers. And, and again, I don't think he's a good passer. Remember, that was the question with Lamar Jackson. I was like, all right, I disagree. But assuming that's right, it, it doesn't matter. And Taysom yeah. Hill, the same thing. Assuming it's right, like – doesn't matter just because he his rush attempt per dropback is so high and rushing is so much more valuable at, it's it's just league winning potential so uh keep an eye on, on Drew Brees' health status this year and that's just huge too for in terms of dynasty leagues right like it, you know no one's going to be sprinting out to get Taysom Hill but if and when he's the Saints starter which is I think it came out uh just in the last couple of days Sean Payton said this is going to be Drew Brees' last season so who knows we obviously Wait, is that can't. right yeah it, I I gotta it's a two-year deal oh was it I I you know, it probably was an April Fool's stupid fucking thing like, <laughs> of the last two years. Who even knows? But uh, you're right. It was a two-year 25 mil. Regardless, though, you're right. Like, if you're forward-thinking in Dynasty here, like, even if you have to wait two more years, this could be that guy that everyone starts taking in round 10 in two years and that ends up being that cheat code. But why not get him in the last couple rounds of your Dynasty League, stash him for a year or two? Uh, because that upside is so real. The system's insane. The weapons right now, you got Michael Thomas locked in for for as long as his career. I'm sure they're going to lock him up that that time. I, Kamara, it's just, and, and that, that guy would be ridiculous. An extension of the passing game. So that's right. like free fantasy points for a quarterback. Insane. I, yeah, I think that's right. absolutely right. The the Saints also put a, a, first, ta- a first round uh, tender on him. Right. Uh, so it's clearly value him to this mm-hmm. team more than just that gadget role. Uh, another dynasty guy is Jalen Hurts, who had uh, 1,300 rushing yards last year. He was successful at Alabama. He was successful at Oklahoma. I think he's a lot better than people give him credit for. Uh, over 850 rushing yards in, in three years as a starter. Um, so, so again, y- y- Konami code, it's, mm-hmm. it's real, guys. 
Yeah, so quarterbacks you're, you're looking at, and all these cheat codes, or at least the vast majority of them we've, we've mentioned, had that rushing upside, the Konami code, as we like to call it. What about in terms of running backs? I mean, obviously we know McCaffrey already is that, and I don't see that ever changing. Are there some guys, whether they've already been very solid but haven't quite hit that, you're winning, you're making your playoffs no matter what if you have this guy, uh, that you see that could really take that next step in 2020? Um, so the rookie is, I think, I think Jonathan Taylor has mm. immense that I think, I think he could be a first round startup in, in dynasty leagues next year. Uh, just, just massive. I think he's immediately as a rookie, like one of the top five best rushers in the NFL. I think he has that. It would be like Derek Henry, Nick Chubb, Aaron Jones, him, I, I want to say. And I also mm. think he's underrated as a pass catcher, which of course is important. I think if you draft him, it's going to be as a bell cow running back. I think a lot of those rookies have that. Uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, uh, I'll pull up a, a good stat on him right now. I think Josh Jacobs is another guy. They're hyping up his pass catching prowess. And that's really all it comes down to because he was shockingly productive as a guy who was just. Uh, you know, the, the runner and, and, and yielding targets to the pass catcher on a team that didn't really win very many games. So you add that component to his game and it's just, just massive, massive upside for an extremely efficient runner. Uh, here's a good Clyde Edwards Hilaire uh, stat. So all SEC running backs to score 100 plus fantasy points as both a runner and a receiver in a single season since the year 2000. It's Clyde Edwards Hilaire Alvin Kamara, Todd Gurley, Percy Harvin, Dexter McCluster, Randall Cobb. So like three of the best fantasy running backs or two of the best fantasy running backs and three great fantasy wide receivers. So uh, I just think that's that's interesting. You can do the same thing just sorting by targets too. just uh, ridiculous uh, uh, usage. And by the way, that was with Joe Brady. So, like, imagine what, mm. what Christian McCaffrey is going to do with Joe Brady oh this year. Oh, my God. I How know. How sexy is that? I, mean, I, he, I he foam did, at the mouth, man. <laughs> it's it's insane. He just did a 1,000-1,000 season. So I don't know. What do you aim for at this point? <laughs> exactly, right? There's, it's That's what I've, I've got a lot of is, like, is McCaffrey still the lock at one? Like, how could he be as good as he was? And, I mean, what a bar to hit. Like, it's insane. But <laughs> ultimately, I, I do see his usage numbers going down. But as you just said, Joe Brady uses his running back so well. In the past game, and McCaffrey, I mean, he had a hundred what back-to-back hundred reception seasons. So it's not like he's going to see more volume, but could his route tree? He could do every route. Might he be used a little more creatively this year? Is, are they going to have more touchdown chances? I mean, that that's one of those things that's insane. Is how much yardage he racked up. He still could have a twenty touchdown season under his belt if this offense just ignites even further under Joe Brady, it could be just a, that much more of a cheat code. So I'm 100% on, on him being locked in. And then some of those r- rookies you mentioned, like what if they end up with the Bucks, where we know Brady loves to throw to his running backs, where there's a clear backfield need. Yeah, Ronald Jones took a couple st- 
steps forward, whatever. He's fucking nothing. It's it's completely wide open as a depth chart there. So those two guys you cited, if either of them land, or or Dobbins even too, with the Bucks, that, that that's a guy I'll be right in on in the the first round. The one guy you didn't mention, and this is interesting. It's almost a reverse of the philosophy you're saying. You know, quarterbacks we target rushing upside. You know, running backs, we want those guys that are receiving. Well, this guy right here, a guy that I know you love because we talked about him last year, we know the receiving upsides there, Austin Eckler. What if the the rushing workload that we saw in the first couple weeks of the year now matches what we saw the rest of the season? I mean, uh, those first few weeks, we get that as a full 16. I mean, nobody other than Christian McCaffrey scored more than this guy over the first four weeks. I see him getting completely disrespected. We'll see what they do in the draft. But Melvin Gordon's now gone, and, and Jonathan Taylor. I mean, nobody else touched the ball more than nine times over those first four weeks. Are you still I, – I don't think I have to <laughs> say too much more on Austin Eckler to get you excited about him, but are you still rock-solid Austin Eckler next year? Yeah, so so absolutely. Uh, a few months ago I said the single greatest value in dynasty drafts right now is Austin Eckler. Mm-hmm. And then we just saw his ADP skyrocket and it still right. has even more to go before it, it reaches where he's going to be in my ranking. So what, what does it hover around? Do you have it pulled up right now by any chance? What is ADP is kind of hovering around? Uh, yeah, I, I'll, I'll pull it up. Let me, let me just sell you on my, my yes, of course. <laughs> so again, we're talking about risk reward in this one. It's just like not, none of it makes sense in contrast to his ADP. Um, and this is for redraft too, of course. Uh, so, what what is his upside? Well, we saw it before before Melvin Gordon came back from his suspension. He played on seventy percent of his team snaps. That's that's like low end uh, mid to mid range bell cow usage. Seventy percent of snaps. He averaged twenty six point eight fantasy points per game. That ranked second to only Christian McCaffrey. And then, what's his downside? Well. Downside is you sign someone, you like Justin Jackson more than we think, and it's a sort of committee. Well, that's what happened in weeks 5 through 17 when Melvin Gordon was back. He played on 53% of the snaps, still ranked fifth at the position in fantasy points per game from that point on. What's his ADP going to be? It's not going to be second. It's not going to be fifth. So, you know, measure upside, downside. Uh, and, And this is a running back who is very, very, very good. He's ranked as one of PFF's top six running backs in each of the past two seasons. Uh, uh, of 60-plus qualifiers in each season, he ranked second, fourth, and first in fantasy points for snap the last three seasons. 27th season, ranked second best this past decade in fantasy points for snap. 2019 season, ranked second best this past decade in yards per route run. Uh, by my stat, which is uh, expected fantasy points, he's the most efficient mm-hmm. Uh, fantasy uh, running back uh, over that span ahead, just ahead of Aaron Jones and Derrick Henry and Christian McCaffrey uh, bell cow potential. He has Christian, like no one has Christian McCaffrey potential. His upside, I think comes closest an issue. Of course, Philip rivers loves targeting running backs. Danny Woodhead, Uh, Tyrod Taylor doesn't what happens with mobile quarterbacks is the target running backs less. That's real. Uh, but they they boost their ground game efficiency. It's just like because of RPOs or, or whatever, it's just e- easier to be more efficient with a mobile quarterback. But I will say Tyrod Taylor's not your typical mobile quarterback. Maybe the you know this this regime watched Lamar Jackson and it, it blew their minds and they're like, oh, we want that. 
but but throughout Tyrod's entire career, he was actually a very very conservative uh, quarterback who, who did target running backs a lot. The Sean McCoy was targeted. He was the leading leading rece- receiver in targets uh, at least one year with with Tyrod. But uh, I'll pull up I'll pull up his ADP and and I want to hear your thoughts. No, I mean I agree with everything you said. Uh, I if he becomes that bell cow, as you mentioned, and this is the ideal fantasy asset. Like the floor is. RB five in a committee last year, and the ceiling was only behind Christian McCaffrey. Like that is the definition of an ideal fantasy investment, especially because you are going to have a shot at him in your first round. Like he's falling. My guess is his ADP is in the middle of the second round. I personally have him towards the bottom of my my first round. I think I have him at ten overall right now, and even that might be a little bit too low. The more and more I, I hear about him, the more we're talking about him. It's like this guy. He is legitimately good, and the volume is only going to go up it could just be all season of what we saw for those first few weeks where he was just if you were facing Eckler you were probably going to lose unless you had McCaffrey to balance it out the only other guys I have as once you get back to Eckler and have his ADP I had a couple others written down as potential cheat codes and feel free to comment on any of them one was kind of again that reverse of already seeing a good amount of receiving work and now might see a steady diet of rushing to go with it. That's Kenyon Drake and the air raid offense. If this offense takes another huge step forward with DeAndre Hopkins, if the air raid becomes what I think it really could, I, I think Kenyon Drake, especially with David Johnson, not that David Johnson was really doing much last year once Drake got there, but now he's gone. So it's the unquestioned bell cow of this offense. And Drake was the, the running back four in fantasy, or maybe even running back three, uh, once he became the, the guy there in Arizona. I wouldn't be shocked if he does that all next season for the entire year. It might be even better if he has more touchdown opportunities because this offense takes another step as a whole. So he's one I really like. Another one I have written down here, Devin Singletary might come into a lot more volume, although the poaching of Josh Allen uh, you know, leads the league in rushing touchdowns back-to-back years for quarterbacks. Maybe that curbs his upside. I also really like Raheem Mostert if he can lock that job down for a full season. Just such a great fit in that Shanahan zone running scheme. And we've seen monsters just year in and year out when he does focus on one guy. Who knows if he'll actually take that. And last but not least, another guy who I'm sure you'll probably want to comment on too, Daryl Henderson. If he's the guy for the Rams, we now have Todd Gurley removed. I know we talked about him last year and it didn't materialize, but maybe we were just a year too early. Are there any of those four that you agree or strongly disagree with? No, those were all fantastic names. Uh, for the people at home, uh, Read my my Daryl Henderson article. Let me pull up the uh, just Google PFF Daryl Henderson's uh, long term fantasy stock is sky high with the Rams. And remember, short term was always the question, but long term upside massive, massive. I don't think they draft. They could draft another running back. Who knows? I don't think they do. But um, but I mean, this is this is a guy I loved and like just. But uh, Kenyon Drake, yeah, he should just go like a few spots behind Austin Eckler. Uh, I think I think both are you know first round. The math checks out. They should go in the first round. Like you, you yeah. could take them in the first round. I don't think they will. I think they'll be you know late second guys. Um, but but yeah, Kenyon Drake for all the same all the reasons I love David Johnson last year. Except mm-hmm. you know we we've seen him do it in this offense, uh, and then. One guy no one is talking about is Melvin Gordon. Mm. So everyone like, oh, Melvin Gordon goes to Denver. Gross, he's dead. And and they just think he's going to be used in a committee 
alongside Philip Lin Lindsay. Like Philip Lindsay was using a committee along alongside uh, Freeman. But you know they signed him to the sixth highest paid, uh, made him the sixth highest paid running back in football. Uh, according to James Palmer of the NFL Network, he was signed to be the team's bell cow running back, quote unquote, using that terminology. And Pat Shermer's history mm -hmm. with running backs, that's bell cow usage. That's why I had Saquon Barkley, an easy first round pick his rookie season. Shermer greatly prefers bell cow usage from, from his running backs rather than a committee approach. So in 11 career seasons, as an NFL head coach or offensive coordinator, his RB1, so I, like there was a year Adrian Peterson went down after four games, so mm -hmm. only counted those, those four games, to, and him as the RB1. Shermer's RB1 has averaged 17.9 carries, 4.4 targets, and 101 yards from scrimmage per game. On a 16-game pace, that's about 290 carries, 70-plus targets, 1,600-plus yards, and by weighted opportunity points, would have ranked fourth most among running backs. Melvin Gordon, bell cow usage each of his last three years. Uh, and he's not going to be priced like it. Again, yeah. people are just, that's a, that's a committee running back. So in a vacuum, I, I, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, it's it's huge, man. I mean, because it's, I think that's a great one to cite because Denver seems so unsexy. They're 28th in scoring last year. They already have the thousand yard rusher. But you mentioned Pat Shermer. I mean, that that play caller could unlock it. The first quote he had before they even signed Melvin Gordon was, "I think it's most important for a runner to be able to catch. There's so many elements to playing it. But if they can't catch the ball of the backfield, or you can't have an impact in that way, it's going to be hard to be a full time runner." And then they go out and sign Melvin Gordon to the, as you mentioned, the sixth highest paid contract. Clearly, they had something in mind with this guy. If he's the next Shermer, Belkow, Dalvin Cook, Saquon Barkley, uh, so many, Steven Jackson even way back in the day, there's tons of upside there, despite how unsexy this offense is. And who says it doesn't take a nice leap forward if Drew Locke is the real deal? And he definitely showed some good stuff out there uh, during the 4-1 and one over his five starts. I, I, I like that one. I think it's a great call. I mean, Melvin Gordon is not without his warts. And I, I do like Philip Lindsay as a player, talented running back. But uh, just as it stands, you know, he's going to have a committee ADP. Uh, I'll, be, I'll be drafting him on that bell cow upside. But, I mean, if Shermer's just like, oh, whatever. Yeah, you get the point. I, I, I do. And I, the other thing to, to note there, too, is that line, I mean, are the Broncos, you know, the, the Dallas Cowboys, these elite graders? Not necessarily, but in your the pro football focus rankings last year, they were number 12, and that was without Juwan James, their huge free agent acquisition. Uh, they acquired a tackle the year before. He, he missed all but three games, and he played well in the games he was there, but he missed almost the entire season. They go out and sign Graham Glasgow to a, a nice $44 million deal at, at guard, so stabilizing the interior a little bit more there. So a number 12 line, Mike Munchak, one of the best offensive line coaches in the game. Maybe they take a step towards the top seven or eight lines. Melvin Gordon's been playing behind the Chargers who have been, I, I don't have the exact rankings in front of me, but I know they're always 28, 29, 30. Like they're always for the last four or five years behind 
uh, at the bottom of those pro football focuses lists. So you give him a better line. If he does get that bell cow volume, uh, he's a great receiver, a good tackle breaker. Uh, this guy could be, I, I think that's a great one to bring up that I probably am a little bit too low on. I, I'm selling myself on Melvin Gordon as we're doing this podcast here. I, I really like that one a lot. Um, any other names that you wanted to shout out there too? Uh, I'm no, I think we're, we've we, been a ton we, we, here. We got running backs pretty covered. I, but that's the thing too, is I, I think it's most important for us to hit quarterbacks and running backs because very rarely do we find uh, last year, Michael Thomas was clearly a huge edge over the field. I, I think it was something like 95 more points than the second closest guy, which was the second biggest gap in wide receivers in NFL history. So there was certainly a, a huge cheat code edge. But when we looked at those numbers of, what players were on the most championship rosters, the most playoff rosters. He's on that list. He's he's top 10 on that list, but not quite at the level of, of the quarterbacks and runners. It seems to me that the cheat codes are much more often at those positions. And then also at tight end, when you find that cheap guy last year on our podcast, you did say, I said, who's going to be the next tight end to ascend to the elite? And you said Mark Andrews, and he was one of the top 10 most championship rostered players too. So, uh, to me, we could dive into receivers. If you see any receivers that you think they're 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 going to take that huge leap this year and be a cheat code, shout them out. But also tight ends too. Is there anyone at either of those positions that you could see making a cheat code style leap? Um, I I don't know. I'm honestly just like not really prepared to to throw out names right now. I'm, I'm sure mm-hmm. they exist, and I'm sure there are a few more running backs too. But uh, but yeah, I mean Mark, Mark Andrews for sure. He's he. <laughs> He's he's the man. Like one of my bold calls, this maybe week one I made this, was that he breaks George Kittle's record, PFF record for yards per route run, and he did. Wow. George Kittle then broke that, but <laughs> but uh, but yeah, he's just awesome. He's just yeah. so good. Right, and now no more Hayden Hurst there too. So it's like not that Hurst was eating into his volume that much, but it's still a body removed at the same position that was seeing some volume. So. Maybe this is the year Andrews not only he already leaped up into those top three, but maybe he he really joins the Kittles and the Kelseys and is you, you can still get him in round four or five, whereas you're gonna have to pay that premium for the other guys. The the one I have a question on is is Tyler Higby. We saw as oh, I said yes. top top four tight you know in the the championship rosters the most owned tight end on championship rosters. Do you think that was just a flash in the pan, or do you think we could get that cheat code we saw at the end of the year for a full season? beautiful beautiful uh throw out there that was like the perfect name uh to bring up yeah tyler higby uh i i don't know what to make of sean McVay and his offense i he's like belichick in that regard where you just don't know he's gonna he's gonna play matchups if there's an injury he could you know completely change his his uh um you know construction and and there's risk there it's okay like cooper cup was an easy high-end wide receiver one for the first half of the season mm-hmm. and then he fell off of a, a cliff meanwhile i i always thought gerald everett was the guy over tyler higby and then higby out of nowhere uh so in in tight end premium leagues uh which is what i predominantly play week 13 27.2 fantasy points. Week 15, 29.9. Week 16, 23.9. Week 17, 
over again. It was, it was high up there. Uh, and just, who has that upside? That's, that's Travis, Kelsey, George, Zach Ertz upside, and then no one else. Uh, just, but I don't know. I like, did, right. does, did he go into that next season? Is he now, is he now Travis Kelsey all of a sudden, or is that just like a hitch in their offense? They, they tried to run out. I, I have no idea. Exactly. I think, but again, that's kind of baked into his price too. Six rounder right. or so. What you're because not going to find the it. Yeah. Risk versus reward thing. We were talking about the top that, that makes him a value at that ADP for sure. Absolutely. Uh, 11 targets in a hundred plus yards in five of those six games that you were talking about. Like if that volume ever did, and it's a, it's a bigger, ri- I think it's a bigger if, as you said there with McVeigh, because we don't know what his offense is at this point. It's, it's always ever changing. It seems, but if we got 16 games of that pace, I mean, he was the number one scoring tight end for that stretch that you said more than Kittle, more than Kelsey. And that's why he was the most championship owned tight end there. It's there. That upside is there in round six that I think very few other people, regardless of position, have. So I, I love Higby. I think that was the one I was thinking of for cheat code tight end. I don't have a receiver. It just it isn't a position where there truly is that many dominant cheat codes. Maybe you know Godwin was kind of one last year, and maybe this year it's Calvin Ridley. Are you a Calvin Ridley truther, or what do you think of him? I, I'm just I'm just looking back at at Higby. Like he is the yeah. ultimate. Yeah, risk versus reward because the first twelve weeks of the season, he he ranked what like fortieth in, in fantasy points per game at the position. Didn't exist. <laughs> yeah, Calvin Ridley. Um, yeah, I like I like Calvin Ridley. No Hooper, massive target bump, uh, productive and efficient uh, to start his NFL career. Um, Julio Jones getting up there in age. Uh, I, I like it for sure. I, Atlanta's offense worries me just in that. They, they lost that piece. Their, their offensive line is in shambles, but I mean, Matt, Matt Ryan can can still get it done for fantasy. Yeah, that's. I just look at that. Matt Ryan, you know, led the league in pass attempts per game last year. Could it, it just kind of like the the Bucks? You know, a high hyper aggressive pass attack with now a, the most vacated offense in the league, uh, vacated target share. That that could be the the step for him becoming that next style cheat code at receiver I, yeah Higby, I, I, I'm with you I, I'm looking at the stats right now too just insane the, the stretch run he had so he's going to be a guy I really target in round you know six seven I don't see too many other tight ends you know maybe Hayden Hurst stepping into that role that Austin Hooper was so dominant and he was the number one scoring tight end for the first half of the year and it's like Higby took over the second stretch maybe Hurst I don't know how much to believe in this guy though because we haven't seen a ton of him he hasn't been used that high but but we'll see. I, I don't know. Is there any other? Play- I, I, we've we've been going long here, so I know I gotta let you go. I want to talk about free agency and everything, but at this point, <laughs> maybe that could be <laughs> another pod if I'll ever get you again. Yeah, I know. But uh, is there any other last players? I know we've we've rallied off a ton of them here. Um, no. Yeah, that, that, I, my list is exhausted. I didn't know if there's any more <laughs> that you had. Uh, so, man, this was uh, – we're at an hour. I didn't even realize it was this long. I looked at the clock and it was 7.30. Holy shit. So <laughs> so my fault on keeping you much longer than I expected. But, man, I just love talking ball with you. So thanks so much for coming on, Scott. Yeah, absolutely. Had a blast as always.
Alrighty, brother. Well, I, I know you got some it, it, very uh, intriguing news for the future too. I, I can't wait to hear what it is. I've been trying to tease it out of you for the last couple of weeks. So <laughs> a- anybody who follows me, but somehow doesn't follow Scott, by all means, make sure you follow Scott. I believe it's what Scott Barrett DFB. Is that right? Yep. So, so make sure you're following Scott. He's got some exciting news to announce in the next coming weeks. Uh, and and maybe maybe just maybe if I'm lucky enough, you'll come on and talk about some free agents with me uh, in the near future. This was a blast, man. Yeah, let's do it. Alrighty, alrighty, Scott. Thanks again for the, the time. Stay healthy and safe out there, brother. We used to have it all, but now's our curtain call. So hold for the applause. Oh oh oh, and wave out to the crowd and take our final bow. Football right there, folks.